Pray with me as we, as we get into God's word. Father in heaven, before we would open your word of God, we pray for your spirit to guide us, direct us, convict us, lead us to know more about Jesus and his great love for us. May we find ourselves at the center of his will, Jesus at the center. In his name we pray, amen. The putluck tablecloth, the putluck tablecloth almost split the church in two. Let me say it one more time. The putluck tablecloth almost split the church in two. This is a real story that happened in this conference. The Ontario Conference Administrative Team had to rally, had to move into a church because a tablecloth was placed over a tablecloth that had been in the church for many years. And it created such hostility that the church was prepared to divide itself along ethnic lines because the tablecloth that was there originally was traditional, had meaning, but it had been covered over. The church was ready to split. The church is always one service away from conflict. You know that Jesus' ministry was marked by conflict. The Sadducees, the Pharisees, the Essenes, the Herodians. And as this world church prepares for a gathering in the, the state of Texas, the church once again is on the verge of conflict. Can't run away from it. It doesn't matter how much we smile, the clothes that we wear. On any given Sabbath, someone will feel slighted. Someone's feelings will be hurt. Someone is one handshake away from walking out never to return. Do you know that people do not leave the Seventh-day Adventist church over doctrine? They don't. But the Seventh-day Adventist church, we lose more people every year due to unresolved conflict. The Word of God declares that in Revelation chapter 7, we have a conflict. Turn with your Bibles with me to Revelation chapter 7. And I pray that there are no double tablecloths on the putluck tables today. It was serious business. A church splitting over a tablecloth. But in Revelation chapter 7, do you know that this chapter has created great controversy within the Seventh-day Adventist church? For there are parties that say this is a symbolic number in reference to the 144,000, and others will say it is, uh, it is literal. Others will say it is spiritual and symbolic. I'm not getting caught up in that today. I'm not. I want to talk about those who will be there as the church prepares to go into conflict. Listen to these words. As God's people are about to pass through the final conflict, they have a firm assurance that God will shelter and comfort them during the time of the great tribulation as he protected 
and comforted his people throughout history. If God could take care of his people in the Old Testament church, he will take care of those who are alive and well in the New Testament. And somebody needs to say amen to that. God will take care of his people. But there are those that get caught up in, in the controversy. But you know what Ellen White writes in Review and Herald, uh, May 21st, 1895. The seal of the living God will be placed upon those who bear a likeness to Christ in character. In character. If you want to get ready for what's coming to planet Earth, study Jesus and become more like Jesus each and every day. If you want to get ready, if you want to get ready for what's coming next, don't get caught up in, in the conflicts, in, in, in all of the, the arguments that happen in the Seventh-day Adventist church. Take time to become more like Jesus. How do you do that? Well, you study his word, you pray, and you serve. Notice the scripture reading as was read. This describes the conflict that, that, that begins on planet Earth will conclude in heaven. You see, in chapter 7, the conflict begins on Earth. But there is a movement from Earth to heaven. It will conclude in heaven. And this is the scene that takes place in heaven. And I want to be there. And I can assure myself of being there the more I become like Jesus. I want to be like Jesus so that one day I can see him. The Bible tells us, and after this, I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. From every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. And they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. These, these white robes signifying that Jesus had covered them. Palm branches signifying that they had been victorious. Fall in love with Jesus, live like Jesus, and you will be what? Victorious. They were there wearing the signs and symbols of victory. And they crowd, I cried out in a loud voice. And, and listen to what they said, church. Salvation belongs to who? To God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. You see, in, in the book of Revelation, the saints are always conquering Named in the present tense, it is always a continuous action. Only Christ has conquered. I, I hope you notice that. We are conquering something that is active, something that is progressive, but only Jesus has conquered. That's why he is our Savior. That's why salvation does not come by what I do, where I go, what I wear, what I eat. It is through Jesus Christ and what he has done for me. Jesus is our Savior. Notice this. And all of the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell down on their faces before the throne and worship God. This sevenfold doxology that is repeated from chapter 5. And listen to it. Amen. Amen. Praise 
and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength to our God forever and ever. And when those words are repeated, I want to be there. The Bible says, then one of the elders spoke to John. Said, these in the white robes, who are they and where did they come from? John said, sir, you know. And he said, these are they who have come out of what church? The great tribulation. They've come out of conflict. They've come out of conflict and they have washed their robes and have made them white in the blood of the what? In the blood of the Lamb. There are some stains that tide can get out. But there's only, there's only Jesus can get rid of the stain of sin. They have washed their, their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And it describes a church triumphant. And notice, it says, therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in the temple. We are saved till one day we will serve. There is something about serving and our salvation. Jesus does not save us for us to do absolutely nothing. When Jesus saves us, he says, you need to do some work. Not for our salvation, but for the salvation of others. We are saved to serve. And if we're going to be doing it in heaven, around the throne, don't you think we should start practicing it on earth? Hmm? Saved to serve. They serve him day and night in the temple. And he who sits on the throne will spread his tent over them. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. You see, Revelation chapter 7, verses 15 and 17 summarize the final two chapters of Revelation 21 and 22. In a nutshell, these two verses summarize the end of the book. Revelation has a way of repeating itself. And the conclusion of Revelation is, is summed up in these two verses. Notice what it says, and I built my sermon on this main theme this morning. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb, notice where is the Lamb located? The Lamb at the what? At the center before the throne will be their what? Shepherd. And he will lead them to what? Springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. I was reading recently the Adventist Review. The article was between the Sadducees and the Pharisees, but there was a tagline in the article. Basically, Jesus claims the center. Jesus claims the center. At the heart of Adventism is a relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, knowing how many horns are lost from Revelation, or pardon me, from Daniel chapter 2 to Daniel 7, uh, the three that are plucked up, knowing what they stand for and the kingdoms of, of, of Europe, knowing the fine details of prophecy, that is very helpful and very good, but it will not save you because Jesus must claim the center of the Adventist church. 
We must be a people who are infectious, who are in love with Jesus Christ, and the love that we have for Jesus Christ is demonstrated to those that we come in contact with on a daily basis. We have prided ourselves in being prophetic. We have prided ourselves in knowing every prophecy there is in the book. But if we miss Jesus and we pull him from the center and put anything else there, we're not going to make it. Does Jesus claim the center in your life? He must claim the center in my life. Now, as I look at this phrase, for the lamb at the center before the throne will be their shepherd, and I have been drawn to an Old Testament passage. And it's unfortunate in Adventism that the only time we look at that passage is when someone passes away. But Psalms 23. Join me there. It's very practical. I'm not going to preach long, but join me in Psalm 23. Jesus must claim the center. He is our shepherd. Look in Psalm 23. The, the word of the Lord declares the Lord is, and, and I was going to say a shepherd. I was going to say uh, 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 the shepherd. But the word of God declares, and I'm so glad it did. The Bible declares that, that the Lord is my shepherd. Isn't that personal? And until the Lord becomes your shepherd, your shepherd. It's not helpful when you're down and out, when you're sick and you're struggling, when you're sad and depressed for you and I to know about the shepherd. But when he becomes my shepherd, that makes all the difference in the world, church. The Lord is my shepherd. He belongs to me. I love him. We have a relationship through thick and thin. I can count on him. I can take him at his word. I lack what? Nothing. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He refreshes my soul. Isn't it something when the entire world is falling down all around us? When we get news from the doctor. When your children go astray. When you have problems at work. When the whole world seems to be breaking apart. And in the midst of the conflict, we can have peace because we know the... Sh now, somebody's got to say amen because that's the truth. In the midst of the storm, we can find calm and peace because Jesus is my shepherd. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths. You know, many times... Individuals will come to their pastors and will say, Pastor, I don't know what to do. And, and, and the role of the pastor is to guide. But do you know that each and every one of you has a, a, a hotline to the king of the universe? And when in doubt, I don't know if I should go to this school. I don't know if I, if I should accept this job opportunity. I don't know if I should move to this new house. Don't you know that you have a direct line? It does not even go to voicemail directly to the king of the universe. Lord, guide me. Show me your will. Show me the path that I am to take. And it may seem odd and ridiculous to your friends and your neighbors, but when you have a relationship with God and hear his voice, it may not make sense, but you're following his will. 
He will lead you along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk, and I love this. Why do we have to read this? Why do we wait to read this until someone passes away? Huh? He's the shepherd. And I'm listening to the shepherd. And the shepherd says, even though you walk, Glenda Silva, even though you are walking through the darkest valley, you don't have to fear because I am with you. You know, when I was growing up, my, my, my aunt's house was about 10 minutes away. I had a, a cousin who was my age. But in between our homes was the biggest Anglican church around. And it had a massive graveyard. And you know, as little boys, we would play as long as we could. You know, when the sun, we loved it when, when, when summer came because they extended that clock and, and summer's just like, but it was always a challenge to go back home. Now, if I had common sense, Pastor, I would have left with, with the sun up, but we would play and play and play. And finally, the sun would go down. And then I remembered, oh boy. Now, I grew up in the Seventh-day Adventist church. I, I, I read the text. I memorized the text. The dead know nothing. But I'm telling you, when you're walking through that cemetery, and when the, ble the breeze is blowing, and the dogs are howling, I caught myself many a time singing that sweet little song, Anywhere with Jesus. I can safely go. But even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are, what, church? You're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Support and correction. There are times that I need to be corrected. There are times when God disciplines me. Instead of crying out, oh no, why is this happening to me? Maybe God's trying to get our attention. I'm looking forward to that day when he prepares a table before me. The presence of my enemies, he anoints my head with oil, my cup overflows. Read it with me, church. Surely your goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will what? I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I want to be there. I want to be there. But in Revelation chapter 7, the shepherd will be at the center. Jesus must be at the center. I was reading a little book in preparation for this, Effective Pastoral Ministry. I'd like to share a few minutes, one to two minutes with your pastor. You may listen. I think I got everybody's attention. But the pastor as a shepherd. What does it mean to be a shepherd? A shepherd. Pastoral leadership, pastoring does not center, listen to this, does not center around great plans, programs, or policies, but pastoring centers around people. Spending time with people, encouraging people, growing people. Notice this, the shepherd leads, but he also follows. Pastor is a shepherd. He leads, 
but he also follows. What does that mean? He can only lead effectively as he follows the great shepherd. So he spends time with, with Jesus. That's why Jesus, when referring to Peter, after he had messed up, what did he say? Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. And repeats it two other times. But the actions of the shepherd. The shepherd is to deal with hurting sheep. Are there people in the Belleville Church that are hurting? The job of the shepherd is to deal with sheep that are hurting. The job of the shepherd is to, is to help the sheep discern God's will for their lives. I'm, I'm, I'm dealing with a case. Individual wants to get married. Wants to marry outside of the faith and, and just looking for me to change the answer. And I say, God's word is pretty plain. What business does light and darkness have to do with each other? And, and just looking for, is there another text? God's word is pretty plain. Do not come to the pastor seeking for an excuse to sin when God has already revealed what sin is in his word. His job of the pastor is to help you discover God's will for your life. And it's all here in this book. It's amazing how the book, Ancient Words, has modern day answers. Amen? But notice, the shepherd is to help them lead. But notice this. Helping the sheep through wilderness experiences. At the times when people go through a wilderness, maybe of health concerns, loss of a job, the breakup of a home. We all go through wilderness wanderings. It is the role of the shepherd to take care of the sheep when they get in the wilderness. Notice this. The shepherd has to mediate when the sheep start fighting. Now, you don't fight at Belleville, do you, church? But when the sheep start fighting, that's why, that's why he's got a staff, but he's also got a what? A rod. No, 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 forget about the rod of iron. We don't want to beat anybody up now. <laughs> Let Jesus have that. But, but gently, keeping the peace and leading, and leading the church, guiding them, mediating when the church fight. Notice this, using the rod of correction. Using the rod of correction. The rod functions for protection, correction, and inspection. And finally, the pastor interceding for the sheep. Pastor, will you pray for me? I'm going through a difficult time in my life. That's the role of the pastor, to pray for his church. You know, Jesus must become the center of the church, must become the center of the pastor's life. I close with this little thought. I told you it would be short and sweet. A few months ago, I traveled eight hours, and I installed a young man in ministry in a new district. And he met with his board, and uh, he said, what is God's will for us as a church as far as bringing people to meet Jesus? And, and, and they set a goal, and, the, and they said, Pastor, do you have a goal? And Pastor said, I'd like to see five people join the church this year, five people make a decision for Jesus Christ. And, and, and the church said, Pastor, um, I'm sorry, we, we don't want to sound blunt, we don't want to be disrespectful, but you're crazy. He said, we haven't baptized anybody in this church in the last three, four years. And if we got two, it would be a miracle. 
He said, well, get ready for a miracle because we'll be having a baptism in one month. Today in that little church, two gentlemen will join the Seventh-day Adventist church through baptism. You see, before the pastor got there, they were already in the church. But because the people were so busy looking at themselves and complaining about everything, there were people in the church ready to meet Jesus and they didn't even know it. It took a shepherd to simply ask, what will you do with Jesus? I want to study. In fact, one of them has a fiancé who is a Seventh-day Adventist, and that's the reason he connected with the church. But he said, are you ready for a miracle? And they said, what? Two baptisms. They said it would be a miracle, and it happened within two months. Don't spend your time fighting about how much money you have in the bank. I've seen church boards that fight over a nickel and have no desire to reach the loss for Jesus Christ. You have a new pastor. It is not about you. It's about Jesus, and Jesus is at the center. And Jesus loves people, and one day real soon, Jesus is coming again, and he wants this church with all of your loved ones, with all of your children, your husbands and wives and friends and family that are outside of this community of faith. Jesus wants your family. I'm not going to argue about who the 144 are, but I'll tell you this. I want to be a part of them. On that day when there is that innumerable number standing before the throne, Jesus at the center, Glenda Silva, Michelle, Ethan, and Mackenzie, by God's grace, we want to be there. What about you, church? You want to be there on that great day? Work with your pastor. Love him. Encourage him. Build up God's kingdom here in Belleville. God bless you and have a happy, happy Sabbath.